Hey there guys, this is Richard on behalf of the Black Berea team and before we jump into today's podcast we just want to put forward our prayers and our condolences really uh, towards the families and the friends of the victims who have really been affected um, by the Manchester bombings. It is a sad event that has occurred, it's a travesty and it really shows a complete and utter disregard for the sanctity of life. However, we pray that the God of all comfort and peace will ultimately keep and preserve and comfort uh, those who have really been affected by this sad event. Um, We too mourn with you, but we pray that the Lord would really grant you strength in this hard and trying time. A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview. Worldviews are the grids. They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. Hey guys, welcome to episode 7 of the Black Maria podcast. It's Dami. I'm sitting here with Mary and we've got a guest on the podcast today. Um, Ejim, welcome. Thanks a lot, bro. <laughs> um, um, how, how have you guys been? I mean, it's been a while since I've been on the podcast. So I, 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 uh, do I say I took some time off? I've been away, rather, away for some time. One. I'm just studying, you know. I'm searching the scriptures, trying to get close to the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Went to the mountains again. <laughs> what do you say? He went to the mountains. I'm done. I went to the mountains again. Um, but no, um, I, I've I've been listening intently to um, the last couple of episodes and was definitely blessed by the one with Israel and Doctor Bantu. Yeah. On the, the mm. Hebrew Israelism mm. and the um, and the Egyptology, um, so dense but very rich. Lots of good truth in there. Lots of stuff to go away and and go and open up our Bibles and also just do some more research into that. But enough about me. How have you guys been? Edim? Well, I've been good. Obviously, I'm just I'm happy to be here. Um, particularly because because of the topics of this episode is quite sensitive mm. and something close to one's heart. So, Blackbeard team, <laughs> thanks for bringing me on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been good though. Um, so actually, I was invited to my workplace um, to sort of speak to parents because we speak to the, the charity I used to work for, sort of works with parents and children in the community. So I went back to sort of speak to them cool. about my work that I did during. Uh, that time I was there. Week's been good though. Um, yeah, just out here chilling. Out here chilling. Mary, how you been? I've been good. Um, work's kind of quieted down, so I've got some more time to just breathe. Mm. Um, and then I'm going Mexico next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys, what are you guys going up to in Mexico? Uh, I'm going Cancun. <clears throat> um, That's Cancun, obviously. For a wedding and then a resort. Can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Mary's um, always travelling, you know. Mary's about Guys, like London is beautiful, but you need to see the rest of God's creation. That's true. So mm. you know, that's very, very true. Well, we hope you have a blessed time. Thank you. Go yeah, out guys. and return safely. So I mean, um, as as Edge mentioned earlier, today's topic is quite a sensitive issue. Definitely a discussion <coughs> worth having. Um, if you've been following what's going on in the news very recently in London, um, and in the UK more generally, um, you'll be aware that there's been a spate of deaths, fatal stabbings, um, thirty so far in London this year. 14 in the last month alone um in fact the latest coming on thursday in, in an area that's not too far from most mm. of us to be honest yeah um so it's definitely been very close to home and i guess we've uh, we we this has been going on for at least a, a few months should we say but 
our own considerations of the subject, particularly as you know, it's a community that's close to our hearts, um, particularly in London that's been affected, so young black men. Um, but also we've just been thinking through this, you know, you know, how do we respond to this biblically as Christians? Um, and whether there's a call for us to respond to this, um, these number of killings that we're seeing recently. So we thought we'll have this conversation here today. Um, Edgem definitely has some some good experience just working in the local community. So mm. he's, a, he's a wonderful guest to kind of broach this topic on. And we hope that um, you guys that are listening, you're edified by it and you're encouraged. So um, I guess I just need to make this um, statement before. I mean, people, when they're thinking about this topic, they'll be wondering, you know, what we've seen in London, is it, is there been like a real increase in knife crime or is it just being reported more? Unfortunately, in our research, um, found that the Office of National Statistics and Home Office don't actually make publicly available data on the number of children and teenagers killed by knives in Britain. So really, the numbers that we're giving you are literally a recording of the number of deaths we've seen publicised um, um, from fatal stabbings this year. So I'll kick off with a question. Um, how have you guys responded to the to the to the fatal stabbings that we've seen so far this year and more broadly how should a christian respond to um the knife violence that we're currently seeing in london and across the uk um so how I, how how have i responded so mm. i live <clears throat> in a in a city borough so this is this is not sort of abstract this is close to home mm. um and unfortunately a few weeks ago um Although it wasn't a stabbing, there was a fatal shooting of uh, a boy that I know very well in my local area. So it's had a quite a profound effect because you you see death so close in mm. uh, such brutality, um, and you just sort of see the um, the fragility of life, and it causes me to be quite sad and quite um, uh, been in a state of mourning. Um, mm. Even though you know maybe not be related to the individual, but. You know, when someone dies so close to you, so in such a brutal way, um, and 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 they and they're gone just like that, um, I mean, you just wonder, you know, where's their soul going to next? I guess that's the uh, that's the Christian approach, I guess, mm. also to remember that life doesn't end here. Mm. Um, but also for the lives that continue here, associated with the life that's lost, so mothers and fathers, um, the sadness that they now have to endure, um, which is heartbreaking. So. It's been sad. It's been solemn. I remember when when it happened, the ends were quiet. You know, everyone was sort of just stayed indoors. And you even see like you feel a sense of um, mourning, community mourning for this interview that's gone. Mm. And and that's and that's in no way pleasant. Um, and obviously, as a Christian, you're just seeking to see those the the lost saved and and those who are now dead um, in, in these circumstances. You're now looking back, hoping that there was some maybe Christian life there somewhere that maybe can provide hope that maybe they haven't gone on to destruction. But it's hard. You're picking those straws because mm. when someone's died in a situation like this, you're, you know, the assumption is and sometimes the facts provide for you to believe that, you know, maybe they were quite, uh, they, were, they were unregenerate individuals. Uh, you know, they weren't yeah. saved. Um, so Christian response is to, of course, to pray for those who are still alive and in this lifestyle. Pray for the families who are mourning. Um, at the loss of their loved ones, um, and really seek for, again for the, the for, you know for those who are involved to 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 be saved and to you know see the death of whoever's died as mm. you know as a, as a warning as a deterrent. Mary, how how have uh, the recent spate of killings kind of touched you or made you feel? Yeah, it's been difficult because even uh, there was a recent stabbing round the corner from my house, like literally 
second to my house outside a shop that I regularly frequent. And mm. I think sometimes when we see these stabbings, we can at times um, react in a way that's not compassion, mm. compassionate. Um, and we say, okay, this person's been stabbed. It's probably because he was a bad boy or he's, he's mixed around with people um, that are not good or he's um, he deserves it. And I think sometimes when we react, react like that, we kind of lose our urge to pray and get involved as well. Mm. Um, so I think when I thought about that and when I thought about the person who just stabbed that was stabbed really close to me. I've just thought of the fact that I don't want to become someone that's become desensitized to violence and also someone that almost begins to excuse violence in my neighborhood as something that was coming to them. Um, mm. Because I think when you start to think like that, it almost impacts the way you pray and mm. the way you, you seek for the gospel or the communities around them to really engage in that in that local area. Um, so I think I'm always trying to think through that mm. and, and that does move me to prayer and, and things that I think we could do or the government could do or um charities could do that mm. will, i think will benefit the area well i mean we'll definitely get onto some things that we think may be practical in helping to challenge some of the serious youth violence that we've been seeing and uh, gang culture but definitely what i'm hearing from the two of you which i wholeheartedly agree with is that we lament um certainly the sin and the wickedness um that is displayed in 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 stabbing somebody and taking life you know the unnecessary um, taking of human life and for Christians I mean I remember that time where we were listening to um, our elder preach through the Ten Commandments and um, just listening to uh, what it meant to not murder thou shalt not murder but also what that meant in terms of preserving life also um, and so that's definitely moved me to to think of more compassionately about you know what we're called to do in and able to preserve life and definitely we need to pray um, I was just thinking through this yesterday First Timothy 2 Mm. you know a lot of people always perhaps kind of center it on praying for kings and authorities mm. Mm. but yeah. initially paul says pray for all people mm. Mm. and mary's definitely right when she's saying you know let me not be biased or partial mm. or think that you know these guys that have been stabbed or have died had it coming to them mm. um we pray generally and also we don't sorry we don't pray generally we pray for specific people groups and mm. so that might also involve the young men, young women in our communities that are caught up um, either in gang culture, in gang life, perhaps not even, but just very, very vulnerable, mm. um, even in their kind of like parental situations. Um, and so, you know, as Paul's talking to us, talking that we should we should pray that we'd be able to lead a peaceable, quiet and godly mm-hmm. life. That just that just makes me think, you know, what am I doing to pray for the young people in my community? Are we as a church praying for our, our communities? And also... I think another good point that you made was just about mobilization to action. Mm. You know, how are we impacting our local communities? Are we getting involved in um, preaching the gospel, but also making perhaps safe spaces mm. for young people? Um, I mean, I, we'll get onto some of those kind of practical things that we can do um, as believers and also as a church. Okay, so thinking through some of the things you guys have said, um, how would you say the gospel and Christianity speaks to the issues that lead to young men and women getting involved in gang culture and more specifically knife crime? Um, so when I was when I was um, thinking through the subject over the weekend, um, I just went out to see if I can find some statistics. Um, unfortunately, there wasn't a lot by way of you know um, granular evidence um, that the Home Office or the ONS provide, but. In the Met Police Service, they published their end-of-year crime uh, stats. And in, in doing so for 2016 to 2017, um, they said that young people are carrying knives for a variety of reasons. Um, 
that included things like status, uh, criminality, and self-protection. But actually, I say weirdly enough, only a quarter of those people who were either caught in possession of knives or died um, were affiliated with gangs. Mm. Um, so that kind of that kind of struck me that this just isn't an issue of say um, you know gang violence mm. or, or gang crime. Um, some people are generally just afraid um, of you know what it is that they encounter when they go out into the streets. And I guess the first thing that kind of came to my mind was that Christian gospel values will challenge gun crime or knife violence because we want to protect human life from unnecessary tragedy. Mm. Um, like I was saying, when we're thinking through the Ten Commandments and specifically that shall not kill, that shall not murder, we're looking to preserve human life. And I think the issues that we have with a lot of these um, approaches to dealing with it, so, you know, people say, oh, we need more education. Uh, we need to try and change the economic circumstances of these young people. Or we need to improve our law enforcement approach. So, you know, stop and search and all of those kind of things. Um, those things only kind of deal with individual perpetrators. Really what we need is a public consensus rooted in moral conviction about the sanctity of human life. If that doesn't change, then it's very difficult for me to see how any of these measures will really challenge the deep-rooted um, issues that cause a person either to carry a knife, to join a gang, or to, to, to be involved in perpetrating violence. So when I was just thinking through it again, you know, stop and search, tougher sentencing laws, they will not deal with the fundamental issue at heart of individuals who are caught up in this stuff mm. that our hearts are deceitfully wicked and you know and we 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 love our sin um and i was just trying to think through you know biblically I, I, perhaps I'll, I'll let you guys chime in with what mm. you think before i get into that but um how, how do you think the gospel responds i mean i think just to sort of um jump on the back of what you said so my um understanding is similar to yours in that it's a Knife crime is an attack on the sanctity of life, mm. like particularly because not just in the way um, uh, people uh, sort of carry out these killings, um, uh, but also in, in the view they just have of their life. And I'm referring to now just people who carry these lives, uh, particularly sort of, I'm talking now to black boys particularly. Um, so working with obviously a lot of black boys and there's this sort of invincibility young black boys seem to have, mm. or maybe young males in general, but of course I'm speaking to, those that I know and I've that you've sort of been around uh, around with and have sort of feel have credibility to talk about, um, they seem to have this invincibility that they have their own lives in their hands and it's up to them as to um, uh, what and how they use their lives and control their lives and mm. they 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 are the ones that can protect their lives ultimately from death. Of course, these are all these are all lies or this is a deception, um, and this is what causes then people to. Uh, trivialize life in itself mm. and to assume that um them holding a knife or holding a weapon uh, is enough for them to be protected when in fact of course the lord is the one who is sovereign has our lives in his hands mm. um, and not just the invincibility that these this forced invincibility that these people have but also i feel there's a trivialization of just the the violence itself in perhaps our subculture. So maybe if it's the music or the terminology, the words we use to even describe this violence. Mm. Um, and obviously being on the ends and being, you know, speaking like the mandem, um, you have the sort of deep that we speak about violence so perhaps trivially when, when mandem are rapping or, or mandem are just talking about an issue that's happened. So someone gets stabbed, someone gets pulled up, 
someone gets ganked, someone gets whatever. Um, but you're actually describing someone that has had a sharp object to penetrate layers of skin, <laughs> cutting through arteries and veins, mm. carrying blood, and make contact with bones and organs. You just described it as, you know, bore. Obviously, I know that, you know, sometimes these things are just, you know, I guess it's a street lingo, but mm. we don't want to trivialise the brutality of what's occurring. And that just comes from a poor view of human life. You just mm. don't value that life isn't for you to take. Uh, and life is more than um, uh, uh, what you think that you can control. Um, so that's, that's my main gripe, really, that, you know, this is the low view of human life. Um, and I think that is the core of all this. You know, man don't think they can control their lives and they think that the way to do it is by carrying knives. Mm. Um, and, and they... And they likewise assume that the person who they're stabbing is no more worthy to live than they are and have a low view uh, of life. Thus. So, yeah, that's, that's the main thing. Mary, what do you think? Yeah, it's difficult because even um, when you when you kind of... I think maybe the music is kind of giving me a bit of an insight and the people that I know in my area, this whole idea of um, they have to get themselves, mm. that there's no support from their parents or the government or those around them. And then there's people who are same age as them who are going out for the same things as well so it almost becomes this kind of war um and that is it feels like it's, it's been forced upon me to live this life mm. because I, i'm not i'm not someone that's evil i just need to do these things and i think obviously the bible has a moral uh, responsibility that even if this is the situation and even if you're in, in a dire circumstance you know you have a responsibility to respond in a manner that the law um seeks and even if even if it's something of oh um I need to covet these things. I need to, you know, get all these different things to support my lifestyle. You know, you know that life doesn't consist in the abundance of things, um, mm. and that we're we're called to look to God. Um, and, and of course, for a inner city fourteen to twenty year old, that's hard to fathom and hard to really understand. But I think we we I think we need to be mindful that we don't um, excuse away and say, oh yeah, it's because he lives in a difficult neighborhood. Yeah, it's because yeah, he different. has, you know, all these things. Mm. No, actually. He's made in the image of God. He mm. has a law written upon his heart and he has to live in a way that um, is true to the scriptures and true to God. Mm. I mean, I think just, just taking it back to Edgem's point on why it um, affects him so deeply, um, perhaps I didn't make this clear at the start. All of the fatal stabbings that have occurred um, in London in the past month mm. have been black boys with yeah. Yeah. Um, an average age of about 18. Yeah. Um, so it's distinct in different parts of the UK. So perhaps when we're thinking for our approaches to tackling this, mm. you have to take that nuance into consideration that the things that are perhaps um, pertinent to the lives of young black people in London mm. differ to um, the unfortunate um, victims of knife crime in other parts of the UK. Yeah. So when I look at this question, I'm kind of thinking, you know, if I'm sitting opposite, um, somebody I know who's um, either involved in, say, gang culture, um, has either been a perpetrator or victim of knife crime and is thinking about vengeance or mm -hmm. something. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, how can I make a, say, a, a gospel presentation to them? And I was, as I was thinking through this yesterday, um, I kind of, almost like a three-point sermon. Preach <laughs> um, <laughs> Almost like a three-point sermon, but I think, Perhaps um, you guys hear me out and, and, and see mm. what you think about this. So one of the things that um, Christ reprimands Peter about, so this is the first point, is that violence begets violence. Mm. Um, Christ reprimands Peter in Matthew 26 when he's being apprehended and Peter draws for his sword. Yeah. Uh, and Christ says to him, listen, all who live by the sword will die by the sword. Mm. Um, and 
if I'm speaking to this young man or this young woman, I'm saying, listen, if weapons become the basis of your social interactions, they will kill you, mm. right? Um, if you think that in order to maintain your life by carrying guns or carrying knives and using them, rest assured that will be the result of your demise. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's if carrying weapons and using them... Um, enables you to achieve and maintain some status because that's what the Metropolitan Police suggested is yeah. one of these drivers. If you think you become some kind of cult figure in your yeah. neighbourhood, you want to achieve some kind of um, notoriety, yeah. that in itself becomes idolatrous. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, you're saying, okay, I want to be the kingpin. I want to mm. be um, this person, the untouchable kind of person who, because people know not to mess with me, mm. means that I have to keep up this facade of mm. bravery. Um, when in fact it's cowardly. Mm. Um and then I have to say to them, listen, if that's how you're thinking, if you're thinking in this idolatrous manner, be wary of the fact that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lifestyle of criminality and violence is ultimately ruinous. Mm. Um, it will end in your demise. This earth is passing away too. So all of the kind of acclaim that you think you get for being bad guys, mm. um, <laughs> really and truly, is fleeting, mm. you know. Um, and I've heard this loads of times when you when you speak to young people. I, I saw this in my own experience. It's so fleeting. Yeah. I saw this in my own experience. Um, of say of say gang culture, the guys who when we were younger, um, who thought you know what the notoriety is worth doing all of this stuff. Mm. They got themselves in a very sticky situation that meant <laughs> they're looking at a 20, 30 year bid and they're saying, I'm not sure if I can do this. Mm. And then when they're there in that prison cell or when they're there in court and they're thinking through, my life really is about to yeah. is about yeah. to be spent in jail. Yeah. They're looking around and they're thinking, rah, all the guys that I was with outside, where are they now? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, and so that kind of community or friendship, those bonds that they thought they had, they realised actually, nah. Yeah. You know, all those guys who I thought were for me, who I called my ride or dies, my mm. cold D's. Mm. In fact, some of them have even They've they've tried to wriggle themselves out of this by saying um, it's all me. Yeah. Um. They've ratted on me. Um. But then, I can't do that without saying to them, listen. God sent Christ into the world to die for sinners. Mm-hmm. Um. And that gives us hope that we can be forgiven. Mm-hmm. We can be washed. We can be renewed. Um. And forget all of this, you know, the the notoriety or the acclaim that you think that you have in this community because. Once you're a believer, you're welcomed into a completely different um, community. There's unity in the body of Christ. And and we're we're drawn together by that, by Christ's blood. Mm. Um, And that's an even greater reality than any affiliation you feel you can have in a gang or in a community where we perpetuate violence. Um, The blood of Christ supersedes any sense of belonging that you will feel in a gang. And it even means that when we're called to forsake vengeance... Mm -hmm. So if one of your boys or one of your girls has suffered at the hands of one of your enemies, quote unquote, you forsake vengeance. It even means that you love your neighbour. Mm-hmm. What that means in terms of relationship with, with, with guys in your local neighbourhood and perhaps even in areas that you won't go into. The other side. The other side. <laughs> um, you love your enemies too. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, It has this profound impact on us that means we renounce yeah. that old way of living. Yeah. And we're welcomed into the, the to the body of Christ, and we're we're adopted. We're called sons and daughters of the Most High, um, and so 
rest assured that, you know, if this is the lifestyle that you choose to pursue, it will mm-hmm. ultimately be ruinous. Mm-hmm. But praise be to God that Christ gives us newness of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can be welcomed into um, a community of believers. I just want to run this back, actually, um, because during the time of, at the height of a number of these stabbings and killings, um, Katie Hopkins, mm. <laughs> um, everybody, Katie. everybody's favorite, everybody's favorite radio host, not mm. um, on LBC. Definitely a very polarizing figure. Yeah. Um, so she put out a tweet that triggered a lot of people. Triggered, triggered yeah. a lot of people. Like I was getting, I was getting WhatsApp messages like, like, have you seen what yeah. Katie Hopkins said? On my, wasn't there oh well. my days Ooh. on my timeline, mm. I was seeing the most people coming for for Katie Hopkins and. Um, the tweet went something like, you know, so I, th- I think it was also to do with um, the show on Netflix, Dear White People. Yeah. Um, yeah. The tweet went something like, Dear Black People, if Black Lives Matter so much, yeah. why do you stab and shoot each other so yeah. much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she quickly deleted the tweet, you know, oh, after God. accusations of racism right. and prejudice. Um, but it, it made me think, you know, okay, cool. That being said, was KE wrong to, to question violence in the black community? in light of our desire for black lives um, to be recognised? Listen, <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's, as much as it about, it's, as much as it is about the message, it's also about the messenger. Mm. Now, Katie is a sensationist figure. Okay. She makes statements that, as you say, she wants to trigger usually a group, a subsex society, mm-hmm. whether it be, um, of a particular religious group or race, she's she, this is not an uncommon sort of comment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's in reference to her as a messenger. So I wouldn't take what she says usually as credible as another source mm-hmm. um, because you see, you know, the intent by it is really her livelihood. Mm-hmm. She lives literally, um, she makes her, her livelihood by these sort of comments and having this sort of perspective and a view. So mm-hmm. I'd never take these things too seriously. But in saying that, is the message wrong? Now, if she's pointing to a fact, she's pointing to a reality, mm. um, then that message could be said perhaps to be true. Um, if it's not a fact, it's untrue. So we look at the factual basis. Now, if, she, if there is, and it's backed by statistics, it's backed by a reality that there is a, there seem, you know, a, a seemingly a, a, a large um, a number of crimes uh, proportionate to um, the, the crimes committed totally by the black community, then maybe she, what she said was right. However, I think in the mission and delivery, to just address their black people, I just, I just put some homogenous, yeah. is very undermining and is very pompous. Is it, sorry, is this, just on that, is the same then with their white people? Well, I mean, that's a different conversation. No, no, look, maybe, maybe that title made me need some adjusting. Okay. Um, okay. I'm, not, I'm not a hypocrite. You right, know, right, and, right. And maybe this, but, but, from because because we know Katie so well, yeah. <laughs> we know her so well. <laughs> it's quite it's quite condescending. They're black people. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. Do you know all the black people? All of you is the same. Mm. Um, but in saying that, if there is a fact that is uh, that proves to be an issue, like you know, crime rates within the black community, then we should address it. And we should. I don't want uh, white people should be able to speak to to our issues. But of course, with sensitivity and and some compassion, mm-hmm. not with intent to just. Shame us and, and row. And, and yeah. you know, just cause Mary, Mary, how did it make you feel? I feel like I I just feel like she was just being provocative and she usually likes to be it's like, provocative. Like, like, <laughs> like I just feel like she was and I think it was a bit of a simplistic argument as well. Like okay. I feel like when I think of the fact that, you know, violence in the black community is 
disproportionately higher than others. I, I, just, I assume it's because black people are likely to live in poorer areas. Crime is committed in poorer areas. Mm. So black people are going to commit more crimes, um, mm. more violent crimes as well. And so it's not a, a race issue as if black people are just violent, um, monsters, yeah. monsters inherently, yeah. but it's an issue of, of class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like she would probably know that, but she doesn't want to say it because she's got a whole agenda to say as many, mm. um, as many problematic statements as she can. Um, so, but in saying that, I okay. think when I did read the quote, I thought, I you know I had that in mind, but I did I did think there does have to be a a pause, a refrain for those who do live in the black community to see what are we doing. Like you know, if, if this is true. If, you know, 30 people um, in London have died this year, um, what are we doing? Um, is it just uh, David Cameron's war on gangs, uh, which I don't think worked. Mm. And I think a lot of people said didn't work. You know, or is it is it uh, is it youth clubs? Is it mobilising that? Or is it just going to be harsher sentences? Um, and I think that's what um, her question made me think of. Mm. Um, and I think that is a question that we need to answer. There should always be space for examining ourselves as a people mm-hmm. and individually um but it must be done constructively that's right. not constructive so i mean one of the things that i guess annoyed me about the tweet is and i, and I hear this a lot from people um i thought it's very obfuscative so that means it, can you define that okay. word please come okay. on <laughs> so, <laughs> so so it it, it, it murkies the waters mm. so what it does is that it pits um Community um, violence in the black community against violence suffered at the hands of police authorities, mm. as if they are some two competing mm. um, issues. Mm. Um, as if we need to deal with one more so than we need to deal with the other, mm-hmm. which actually I think is a false dichotomy. Mm. That's that's not true. Mm. These are two distinct issues that require respective attention. She's not debarred from making um, comments about it, mm. like you said, Ejem. We welcome sensitive and um, well-thought-out examination of the issues that take place within the community. Mm. But this false dichotomy that's regularly drawn by people that says, you know, oh, well, deal with black-on-black violence, Mm. black-on-black crime first, Mm. um, before you start talking about, you know, how black people are supposedly suffering at the hands of um, police authorities or whatever. Mm. And also, just on that issue then again, um, black-on-black crime is a misnomer. Mm. Um, Sorry for using it, first of all. So, um, but it, again, I think Mary alluded to the fact that, you know, geography is as much to do with crime as races. Mm. I don't like this kind of, again, false narrative that suggests black people are inherently more criminal yep. than people of other races. Race, um, So crime tends to take place, um, if, if you're looking at the statistics between um, different races, tends to take place intraracially. Mm. Um, so you'll find that white people are committing most of the white murders. You'll find that in parts of the world where there are lots of Asian people, mm-hmm. they'll be committing crime against their fellow Asian people. Um, so let's not kind of, you know, trump up this very false assertion, yeah. you know, that black people are innately more criminal than people of other races. That said, like you guys have, have said, there's still very much issues that we need to be frank about and deal with. But I think you can do that respectively and respectfully. Mm. Hey guys, this is Richard of the Black Berea team. Uh, I'm just here with a small interjection, but we've been speaking a lot about knife crime and we've been calling it wrong. However, we actually live in a society that is moving away from all of these moral absolutes. Uh, And the Christian has to recognize this idea of sin, of sin being us rebelling against God. It's 
it's plagued mankind's historical narrative and really it's us as humans uh, as creatures rebelling against our creator god's invisible attributes have been made plain have clearly been seen since creation uh, god's standards have been embedded in our conscience um, his laws have been made plain in the scriptures and even he institutes authorities and therefore uses human agents to enforce his laws and one thing we've seen is that men have rebelled against these laws men have suppressed their consciences and men have even rebelled against their authorities and not only that but even worse is that our authorities are also trying to normalize sin in some areas and in some spheres and this is hideous christ goes as far as mentioning this idea of the law of love this you have to love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul and with all your strength and that you should therefore love your neighbor um as yourself that you should love first god and then you should love those who are made in his image um and you should notice that this is not just saying that sin is um is is breaking this law by doing by murdering for example uh, breaking that commandment but sin is also you therefore not preserving life um so you can be guilty of commission as well as omission and whenever we get to see any issue in this world whether it's knife crime a political issue relational issues or marital issues or anything of the sort we must recognize that it can always be traced back to sin and therefore from our pulpits we must keep on preaching faithfully and even when we evangelize etc as christians that sin is the issue that mankind must deal with it is the issue for which we must find the cure and the only cure can be found in christ and we can never truly appreciate the brightness of god's mercy and his grace until we first understand the darkness of sin this is richard of the black berea team thanks okay so while we're thinking through media and its different forms do you think that media has a part to play in perpetuating youth violence and gang culture what do you think um unfortunately uh, media um, has a quite a negative influence on portraying um uh, the crimes in the black community now black crime shouldn't obviously be reported with, with you know joy and, mm. and sort of you know and, and a full sense of um, hope but when crime is reported in the black community it's done in a way as i saw one author write it to suggest that the victims are, un are unworthy um sure. and that as you thought earlier maybe deserved what what came uh, to them um and associates them specifically to their race. So them being black was almost like a key factor to them dying. Um, or them being um, uh, maybe from a rough neighborhood, uh, ultimately this was their fate. Um, rather than actually investigating to the, to the family and, and with the person involved and portraying a complete narrative of that individual who has died and, and reporting to the public that again, this was a human being like anyone else and whether what race they were um, shouldn't be the focus but just that life has been lost mm. full stop um, maybe i don't think i get i don't i don't get the focus of um the race of uh, a non non-black uh, particularly a white white victim 
um, who has been murdered or attacked, um, or rather who commits an attack. And I don't, I don't sort of get the vibe that this is to do their whiteness, um, as I do with a, uh, a perpetrator of a, a crime, of a crime who is black, um, that is, uh, you know, that is due to their race. Um, and the media, and, and it's, it's difficult because obviously the media want to, they just want to, ultimately want to sell papers and sensationalise the news to a degree, but I think appropriate and um, and sensible journalism would dictate that you need to ensure that comprehensive um, contextual reporting is, is performed. Mm. You don't just focus on he was from this slum area, he was... Uh, you know, maybe he had some offences in the past, and focus is that life has been lost. Yeah. That's the focus. It's not past misdemeanors. Um, it's not putting forth a picture on the front page of him wearing one glove and a black hat <laughs> and, a, and a bomber jacket. Um, that doesn't. That's not to say he was in criminal activity. Mm. Um, I mean, you have to be quite careful in the picture you're 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 putting forth in the minds of the, of the readership, because then the readership, when viewing someone who um, maybe ticks the boxes of the perpetrator of a crime in the, in the, in the article, article I just read, may have, will always have a lesser view of, you know, that the people from that sort of society, probably black people, and saying that, oh, you look like the person who you committed crimes, that, you know, in, in, in this article. Mm. And so that, that cycle of just media feeding, false assumptions, negative uh, preconceptions uh, continues unless sensible journalism is, con- is committed. I mean... <clears throat> Lots of furor this past week um, about a Channel 5 documentary um, called Gangland. I think this was the second episode. Um, they released another one last year where they were looking into um, gang culture, specifically um, in London. And do I say, unfortunately, um, predominant, if not all, focus on gang violence among young black men. Mm. Um, and I think it paints a very distorted view of gang culture um, in London and the UK more generally because sad to say there are gangs across races Mm. in other parts I mean if you go to Liverpool Mm. Manchester Manchester even in London non-black yeah um, we know that this is not just an an issue Mm. specific to this particular demographic of people and so I think when you think of what you're saying is absolutely right about, you know, sensible, sensible reporting, mm. comprehensive analysis of the issues that lead people mm. to get involved um, in these gangs and pursue um, these particular kinds of lifestyles. I mean, how did you feel when you watched Gangland specifically? Mm. What did you think about the show? Well, as you said, it was particularly focused on gangs in a in an urban environment with clearly a predominant sort of minority ethnic group mm-hmm. that populated that area so your, the focus was on blacks um in south london south southeast london this is in new cross and of course when all the viewers seen are young black boys um committing the crime victims of crime and and that's all the focus. And I'm sure even in these gangs, they're not purely black people. I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. Not to say, you know, we're not the only ones, but this is... You don't yeah, we're, not, we're not encouraging diversity. No, yeah. not, you know, I don't... <laughs> don't take you yeah, Exactly, CSR boxes. But <laughs> but there's such a, a false picture being shown. If all the, you know, documentary really showed is 
um, uh, the blacks involved uh, were the, seemingly the only ones involved in violence in that area. Yeah. So New Cross, the only gangs that are there are black gangs, and that um, only blacks commit the violence and, and violent crimes in that area. But the documentary as a whole, I mean, it was as informative as it can be for someone who lived in a similar area. Yeah. Um, but I guess what was quite revealing for me is just the um, proximity these um, these um, these black youths had to death. Mm. I mean, there were clear evidence from their accounts, from the, 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 the boys involved in gangs in their interviews, that on a daily basis, they don't know when they could be, be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's quite sobering um, because you realise how such a real, what reality is for someone to live in fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that fear then spurring them on to carry a knife. Mm-hmm. And that knife being then used when altercation happens. You don't get that in, in uh, I think... Um, in pop, in popular journalism, mm. that documentary, um, to be fair, showed that mm-hmm. that perhaps it was a matter of fear mm-hmm. as much as it was as the article you referred to earlier, um, status um, that they carry knives, mm. um, and I think people need to understand that. And so when you perhaps see a group of black boys or um, hooded, you know, black boys in hoods or whatever, to sort of archetypal picture of of, of gangs, um, I think you must remember that these people are not always voluntarily choosing this way of life. Now, everyone has a human responsibility and a choice to do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but indeed, sometimes the likelihood of them entering these criminal activities increase because of the environment. Yeah. And it's a shame because somewhere like New Cross and areas they're talking about is, is clearly an environment that there's no, opportunity seem, there's no opportunities that seem presented to them that allows them to sort of uh, be part of you know, a structured, um, um, orderly, quote-unquote family. Mm. Broken homes are, uh, you know, are, are, are in abundance. Yeah. And so these gangs sort of are, are you know, man, oh, my man, they're here, my friends are here, let me just chill with them. Mm. And chilling then becomes a criminal activity. Yeah. And sometimes, before you know it, man is sitting on some long stretches for just, a, I don't know, just what, um, uh, seconds of senselessness. Um, and I think the documentary showed that well. Mm. It also showed that music seemed to be a great avenue for these, um, for these, for these, for these guys um, uh, who are in this activity um, to come out of that life. Mm. However, I do think to a degree, these men need to realise that this music isn't a way to, it shouldn't be a way to um, advocate the life. So mm-hmm. when Manda Messi in the documentary I love music and I want to do music and, uh, you know, it's a way to get out of the streets. But all them men are rapping out is the streets. Right. And you ganking up the next man. Yeah. It's like, because. Um, so it showed a bit of the, the mentality that man need to get out of. You mm. need to, you know, if you really want to get out of the streets, then then separate, mm. you know, then really separate. Um, documentary was okay, but again, I think we need fairer presentation. So if you're going to show Ganglands in New Cross, show the one... In Liverpool. Mm. Yeah. Do you think it um, did anything to reinforce stereotypes as well? So, you know, just the whole, the picture of a black boy in a hoodie or, you know, low, low track suits, that means he's a thug or... Yeah. Can I, can I just chime in there? Because, yeah. um, there was actually a demonstration outside of the Channel 5 offices this week, mm. um, by one of the people who was depicted, um, in the documentary. Um, and he claims that actually, um, Channel 5 didn't publish... I mean, I, I, don't, I can't underscore the, the truth of this statement, mm. but didn't publish the work he does in his local community to renounce his previous lifestyle of somebody who was involved in uh, gang warfare and drugs um, and crime. And actually, I think if you're going to present um, a documentary 
um, that deals with these kinds of mm. issues. Like you said, sensible reporting demands that actually we have not just the stories of tragedy, mm. but in some sense the story of triumph, if yeah. I can call it that. Yeah. That there are people who actually renounce those kind of lifestyles mm. and are working for the betterment of their communities in providing um, opportunities and safe spaces, mm. um, you know, going into the hearts of these very perhaps dangerous neighborhoods mm. and trying to draw people out of yeah. that cycle and lifestyle of persistent uh, youth violence. Mm. Um, and I think that's an unfortunate um, part of some of these documentaries' failures. Mm. But I think, you know, we're, narrative speak- they yeah. want to present almost. We're, 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 we're speaking about this um, off air, should I say? <laughs> um, but you spoke about the Cray twins, for example, mm. notorious gangsters in East London mm. who are venerated. Yep. East London turns up for the funeral, mm. as in the whole of the. Sh- my, my, mm. dad, my dad tells me about this that all of East London was basically lined up on the roads to almost cheer these men. And they were notorious thugs. Thugs. No, no, no other way to, to describe it. People are aware of the history of uh, Reggie and Ronald Cray, is it? Or yeah. Is it? Reggie and Ronald Cray. Reggie and... Ron- oh, is it Ronnie? Ronnie, yeah. Reggie and Ronnie, Ronnie Cray. Ronnie, yeah. Reggie and Ronnie Cray. And yet we've, um, we've somehow turned them into court heroes. Yeah. Um, when actually what we should be doing, you know, there's been movies made about them, in fact. Yeah. Um, what we should be saying is actually, no, this is deplorable. Mm. We shouldn't glorify it. Um, let us denounce this kind of lifestyle. Mm. And where we can possibly uplift people who are working to um, change the effects and um, uh, uh, this this perpetuation of um, serious youth violence. Mm. Okay, cool. Um so we're just, we're, I think, if there's nothing else to be said, we'll move on to this this one last question because people are hearing this and they're going to be like... Where's the solutions, y'all? Where's the solutions? <laughs> solutions? We heard a lot of problems, we heard a lot of issues, but we need to be solution-driven people. But before we get there... Mary had a question, though. She had a question. What was okay. my question? What was your question? Does it, does, it, does it reinforce stereotypes? Oh, yeah. Yes. What were you going to say to that? Well, yeah, basically. Well, it did. It did. Um, because... I, Part of responsible journalism in, in, in the form of documentary is to um, be balanced and report when someone does renounce. And there are people who, we all don't, we don't know, but ha- have people turned away from gang lives because of the deaths of M. Dot Oshoki, who were on the documentary. And that's such a tragic story. Um, but even that was sort of briefly sort of skipped over because I guess the focus was to see these mandem in the element um, on, on the postcode, talking about gang life. The, the reporters seem to just fo- want to focus on the reality these people could die any minute now, which mm. is fair enough, but also, is, you know, where's the hope in there? Mm. Uh, a documentary yeah. that just shows the darkness of what these guys do and, and, and the hopelessness that seems seamlessly is there doesn't do well to encourage others to to come out of it. Where's the, where's the, where's the example of those who maybe have turned away and... And that, um, I think that's a shame. Sorry, I was just thinking yeah. about it this week. Damilola Taylor's father and yep. Damilola Taylor Centre in Peckham do some great community work, mm. um, to, work. Try and, to try and you yeah. know, reverse the effects of gang violence and um, knife crime in that local area. And he's been very, very vocal yeah. um, about you know trying to get young people 
um, to turn away from that kind of lifestyle that led to the unfortunate and untimely demise of of his of his young son. Um, so let's see more of that kind of stuff. Yes. You know, what kind of work is being done yeah. there? Um, but okay, cool. Lastly, like we said, people are going to want solutions. So can we combat gang culture? If so, how? And I'm just going to add a little, a little bit to this. What role can the church play? What role can the church play? So I, 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 I've, I've got, I've got some things that I think we can do um, in the church. But yes. I'll, I'll let you guys just deal with. What do you think um, can be done to help combat gang culture, serious youth violence? Let us mm. know. I think when I'm when I was thinking of this question, mm. of course, guys, I'm not involved in the streets. Like, you, know, you guys were, or, or you I know, know, people. I don't know who. Know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, that you people know, right? Um, but when I was thinking of it, I know that a lot of gang culture is predominantly full of men. Mm. Um, and I just this quote by Frederick Douglass that I really love about um, it's easier to build strong children than to prepare broken men. Mm. Um, and I think that just speaks to the whole idea of it starts from young. It starts from being able to form a community around young boys um, in training them up in the way of the Lord. Um, and I think when I think of fatherhood, when I think of families, when I think of the, the impact it has, um, we were speaking about this off, here, off air about how how um, a lot of these people who grew up in, in some of these families, you know, their parents are away at work a lot, trying to provide for them and this creates an outlet for them mm. to just, you know, do as, as they can. But, you know, with involved parenting, how transformative that can be. Um, and even even doing as much as you can to reach out to neighbourhoods and to strengthen um, young people, you know, mm. provide safe spaces and really um, provide options so that they don't just see the only thing I can do in, to survive is to join a gang. Mm. Um, but actually, I can do this one, I can do this, I can do that. Um, so that's one of the things I was thinking of. I was thinking of family, I was thinking of building strong men um, and just really creating a community wherever you are that really looks to children as they grow up and hopefully leave or don't ever, ever enter these mm. gangs. Edgem, talk to us. Um, so having worked um, in the past in the community, um, uh, in, in such areas that have high crime, a, a vacuum there is um, the uh, indeed work of the church. Um, there is a there is a space that the church could do um, or could you know fill, um, and I think particularly those within the church who perhaps are our age mm. and have friends who are well friends or whatever you call them, but you were closely affiliated at one point in your life, if if not still. Uh, with those in gang culture, gang life, or maybe even in prison, um, I think we must remain uh, in contact with them. Uh, I know for me it was difficult because you know you, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and you wanna, in the sake and the name of sort of righteous living, you, you sort of cut off all that you believe that is a bad influence. Mm. Um, but I do think with maturity, and I, I think a mature Christian um, can still engage in conversation with those who we still. Value to so some degree as his friends. There was some common ground when you know when 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 perhaps you were in school with this guy and you were you know talking. There is space where you can have conversation um, and really trying to appeal to this person's conscience mm. and uh, for the for the hope of seeing them saved. Christ mm. came to save the lost. Mm. Um, it came not even to seek, to seek. It's an active, active word he uses in Luke to seek them mm. and to save them. And we need to. And I don't think we have to seek too much because they're all around us. Yeah, you know, they they're neighbors. just all around us, you know. And I think we need to be quite active and deliberate in our conversation with those we know in that environment. Um, and to be, and I know it's not easy because even me, is when you face a friend who's in that life um, and he's probably smelling of weed 
and he's and he's saying one two things that you know you should you, that's not conducive for your edification um and of course don't be in environments which are which are which are which are unwise but where where you can drop a word of encouragement and a word of hope that this doesn't have to be the person's end you know um visit those you may know in prison um stole stolen on my <laughs> It's a big one. Um, and also, um, Mary spoke about families. Now, I don't, this is, listen, I, I at least open for you, man, to challenge, because even me, I'm still deliberating this solution. But you know what? I think it's, we're at a point where it's so dire, the situation that we have, that let's have some dynamic solutions. Now, what about this? I think parents of deceased loved ones, so parents of, of children who have been uh, victims of knife crime, fatal victims of knife crime, mm. or violent crime. Um, I wonder if, you know, um, and it's a, t- it's a delicate one because it's sensitive. You're dealing with a loss. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a parent and I never, never obviously subsequently had a child that died. But I think parents need to be honest mm. when... We need to be honest in the obituaries and eulogies of their 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 late children. Um, I'm not, you know, and it's tough because parents, when the child dies, don't know leave a bad legacy for the child or uh, try and suggest that the child um, uh, was bad. But I think when a child has given a mum stress and hell for the last how many months or years, and this child unfortunately is on the end of a knife attack or gun attack and dies. Um, um, I think parents need to be honest, and, and and in a way to deter others, other uh, children in this in this in this world, need to say that you know my son was disobedient, mm. you know, um, not as not as a fatalistic, you no, know, he was bound to die, but he was disobedient, you know. This is this is he he, he was disobedient, he was uh, he, he he was rebellious, and I warned him, you know, and and, and look now he's dead. Um, I think that needs to be done more, you know, parents, and it's tough, I, you know. I don't. I have no idea how parents feel. I can never imagine. I pray I would never imagine how how that feels to have a child lost. But I feel maybe if we are truly honest with um, parents are truly honest at times when they uh, uh, when such things happens to really appeal to those who are still in that lifestyle. Because when you when 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 perhaps you come forward saying my child was you know it was bright future la 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 and and that might have been the case. And and I think when that's true you say. But if it's not the case, be honest. Yeah. So that you can really deter others. Who believe that they're invincible and they're and they're currently disobeying their parents and they're currently rebelling to actually say right that could be me rather than he was a good boy and that man them here that's thinking yeah but I'm a bad man and I'm streetwise you feel me so that won't happen to me and that'll happen to me yeah. yeah it's a tough one and I, I hear that in my you know maybe I'm going too far but I just believe maybe there's space to think you know just maybe for that Mary do you have anything to say about that I like it. <laughs> I do like it. And I think even um, parents of the people, so for example, if someone commits a crime and goes to prison, you know, those people to speak up. So I always think when someone gets stabbed, of course, the perpetrator, um, his his mother mm. is, is, is reading from that as well. Yeah. And also the victim's mother as well. And I think parents of both sides should should be willing to speak up and speak to the atrocities. I think mm. when you glamorise violence, mm. it becomes alluring and mm. that whole invisibility that you're speaking of um, is what people kind of feel like, okay, I can do it. Mm. But if, if you speak to the red of it, the fact that violence begets violence, yeah. then that becomes something to say, okay, maybe I should turn away. Mm. It's, it's, I don't think that's a, a bad idea at all. I think, like you said, it requires sensitivity mm. because yeah. people are mourning. Mm. Um, and so 
the, the delicateness that they're going to need to be able to deal with being honest, but also grieving at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Um, it's going to require much. But actually, there is something in us um, being forthright mm. about the fact that our children or our brothers or our friends, particularly if you're Christian, yeah, this is this is an appeal to because let, let let's not let's not um let, let's not uh beat around the bush. Yeah, Christians, if this hasn't already affected you, it will affect you. Mm. Um, there are definitely, I'm sure, uh, Christian mothers or fathers who have lost uh, their loved ones to knife crime or gang violence. Um, I think it will help not just us, but the world around us, if we were forthright with what, with what Ejim said about saying, you know, my son, my son was no angel. Mm. Um, perhaps I made some mistakes mm. um, in the way that I uh, instructed him and in, in the way that I admonished him. But um, I can't, you know, glorify him and you know, make him seem better mm. than he was because that would be me telling a lie. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a hard saying, it's but so actually, hard. it's definitely helpful for the people that are hearing that. Mm. Um, and I think it will perhaps even help to give you closure. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I don't think it's a bad thing to do that at all. Um, just when I'm, I'm thinking about this issue of, you know, how can we combat gang culture? It, hear me out on on this one. You and your was, solutions. Yeah, so no, so this the, my solutions are not particularly okay. radical, but um, I was trying to think. You know, are there any examples of gang violence in the scriptures? I was thinking, are there? Mm. So I thought, okay. So I looked at Luke ten, mm. parable of the Good Samaritan, mm-hmm. and sectarian, um, sectarian, sectarian violence. Really, you might you might yeah. say that, right? So um, this man is apprehended by a group of robbers. Yeah, who rob him, mm. leave him for dead. Mm. And I think it's a wonderful illustration of how Christians ought or ought not to respond to vulnerable people. Um, <laughs> the gag is <laughs> um, the religious leaders mm. in that story mm. actually were neglectful yeah. of their responsibilities. So that is the Pharisee and yeah. the Levite. Mm. They saw him and passed him by, um, the scripture says. But the Samaritan... Um, went to his aid, offered emergency medical help, mm. um, transportation, mm. um, financial assistance he paid for, for his for his care, even said to the innkeeper at the time, if I owe you anything, I'll, I'll pay it on my return. Yeah. Um, and I think Christians also have to demonstrate that same level of um, compassion and concern when dealing with um, these types of issues of serious youth violence or or gang culture. So when I say my solutions are not radical, the two things that I was thinking of specifically were, were definitely partnership with things like prison ministry. Mm, yeah. um, we thank God for ministries like Daylight mm-hmm. um, that go into different prisons um, and try and preach the gospel there. Because one of the things that is helpful is that it can help to reduce the likelihood of reoffending. Yeah. Particularly if they're um, allowed to help with things like societal and church reintegration. Praise God, we've heard stories of men come into faith um, in the prisons, um, and you know, the church can help them to resettle um, back out when they're out in society, and, and just helping them get in the get on their feet in terms of perhaps you know finding work, mm. but for finding a sustainable group of people who will be a support network for mm. them, 
who will encourage them in the Lord. Um, so definitely, if you have provision for your church to be involved in prison ministry, make yourselves available. Mm. The second thing, and I think this is close to home for me, um, is what we're actually doing in our churches. Mm. Um, I went to, I must say this, uh, this is not church shaming. Um, so please, if you know me and you know the church that I went to, do not think that um, I'm trying to denigrate the church that I went to previously. Um, but I think it must be said. Um, I was having a conversation with um, somebody who's involved in the leadership at a youth church that I was part of when I wasn't a believer. Um, and unfortunately, in the church that I went to, I think there's at least five young men that I know who have done um, significant jail time. Um, and I must be honest, listen, I'm no better than any of those men. It's God's grace that kept me from um, many of the situations that they found themselves in. Mm. Um, but what I distinctly remember when I was discussing with the person who is now involved in leadership at the youth church that I was formerly a part of was that, you know, there's a real present need for us to make sure that there's always been a need, um, but specifically that we're preaching the gospel. Um, we were 12, 13, 14, um, and unfortunately, it seemed as if we were very caught up with, you know, how can we make youth church enjoyable? How can we make it palatable? You know, how can we get more numbers? Not necessarily how can we make sure that these young people are sold out for Christ? Um, that's a very, like... Youth churchy Youth churchy phrase. term. Um, <laughs> But it, but it has significance, right? Yeah. How can we make sure that these people are genuinely believers and that they're walking with the Lord and that, you know, they're fighting sin, they're increasing in holiness, they're growing in grace. Um, we spent a lot of time, I don't want to call it gimmicks, um, but we spent a lot, we didn't spend enough time, you know, investing in the spiritual lives of the young people. And unfortunately, that manifested itself in a number of different ways. Um, I'm sure if you speak to one of our other members, Richard, he'll tell you about his own experience. Um that he was part of um, in, a, in a local church for us, who I must admit, um, the Lord used to do some good work in actually providing, say, like a, a safe space where <laughs> if people weren't there, Lord knows what else they could have been mm, doing outside. Yeah. But I think um, the necessity to preach the gospel has to be brought to bear upon youth leadership, church ministries um, around London, the UK, wherever you are, wherever you are listening to this, we need to make sure that, you know, we're not just concerned that we have high numbers or, that, you know, we have people in there that are just playing games mm. or, you know, they're having fun. Uh, we need to deal with the serious matter that is these young people need to be saved. Mm. And so if we in our local churches and our youth ministries and all of those kinds of things have a serious commitment to preaching the gospel, the Lord will reward that work. Mm -hmm. Faithful preaching of the gospel will see the transformation of lives that we so desire in our own communities. Mm. If we neglect to do that, you'll be amazed at just how many young people in our churches are caught up in things that we wish they weren't. Mm. So that's an appeal to anybody who's involved in you know, youth ministry or in a local church. Please ensure that your young people on a regular basis are hearing the gospel. Mm. Uh, we, we, we're, we don't know just how, how, just how wonderful it is that the Lord works. Um, in the hearts of young people. But listen, it's this has been a great conversation. Mm. You got, a great you got conversation. emotional there, Dami. I, I, I did. <laughs> Let me not lie. I did. I did. Um, it's close to home, like yeah. said. Um, but yeah, guys, thank you for listening. Um, continue to pray, definitely. Continue to pray for, for, for our, 
our local communities and our nation. Um, let us know what you think about it. If if you've been affected by this, you know some some useful solutions. And um, we'll try and move this conversation to our Facebook page actually. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, so that would be good if we can have some, you know, some discussion there. Um, but thank you once again for listening, Edjim. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for the invite. Thanks, Edjim. <laughs> Keep doing your thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, this is this is it. So episode seven done. Um, take care.